The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and just two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about five thousand in number, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is coming into this world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. morning. Bear with me while I take off this double mask and and brush this beard. It's going to get weird for a second. Um, good to be with you. If you are a guest with us here in person, online, my name's Drew. I'm the pastor of Discipleship, and I'm excited to jump into this passage together as we go back into John. The last four weeks, we spent walking through our foundational values as a church. If, and again, if you're new with us, I would encourage you to go back, look at those sermons. Those are going to help uh, structure really what we believe in as a church in the sense of gathering, growing, giving, and going. And as we go back into the book of John today, let me ask this question. Do we have any DIYers in here? Anybody that likes to do DIY projects? All right, a little bit. Some hesitant hands. Um, Laura and I like to do DIY projects. I like to do some on my own. And sometimes these projects turn out fairly well. I love to work with um, old things. Here are some old refrigerators that I've restored. And uh, these can turn out well at times. But sometimes uh, the DIY projects that I do go horribly, horribly sideways. A couple years ago, I decided that I wanted to build a table. Not 100% sure why I decided this, but I did. And so I spent hours and hours and hours building this table, and here's what it looked like. This was the worst table that I've ever seen. It would barely stay standing. It was wobbly. It wasn't safe to put anything on. It should have been tossed into the fire. Eventually was, side note. But it was so frustrating because it didn't work out, and I wanted it to work out, and, and Laura just kind of shook her head at this project, but uh, sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. Now here's the point. DIY projects and doing it yourself, that that can be great, that can be fun 
for projects. But what I've noticed in my own life and what I've noticed in our culture is that this whole idea of doing it yourself, this mentality can easily slip into other areas of our life, no matter what age you are, whether you're a student here this morning, whether you're an adult, this can happen, especially when we have a need. And I've noticed this in my own life, that whether it's a physical, whether it's an emotional, whether it's a spiritual need, and when I can't find the solution, when it doesn't look like it's going to happen inside of my timeline, when I can't make it happen, I get incredibly frustrated. I get anxious. I get stressed. Maybe you've experienced this too, or you do experience this on a regular basis. Maybe it has to do with finances. How are we going to pay for this? How is this going to work out? What is this going to look like? What does this mean for me, for my family? Maybe you lay awake at night even trying to figure some of this out. Maybe it's relationships, right? Maybe it's a relationship uh, inside of a marriage and it's a stressor and, and you're trying to maybe mend a relationship, heal a relationship, grow a relationship. Maybe it's relationships with friends, right? And family members. And this can be a, a, a need, a desired need. I'm thinking about students this morning, maybe it's a need for wisdom. As you get closer to college or you're making decisions or you're wondering, hey, what, what, what does this look like? What should I join, not join? What decision should I make, not make? Man, I've got these big tests coming up. This is a big need. I'm stressing about it. All of these things, maybe there's a desire for wisdom. You're not sure exactly what to do or what decisions to make. And that's the same for adults, right? We need wisdom all the time. Maybe it's a health need. Maybe you've been sick for a while. And you're really wondering what's going on and you, and you, and you want resolution or, or, or you're scared or there's an unknown or, or maybe it's just even the need and the state that we find ourselves in our, in our country and our world, right? Or maybe it's a spiritual need. Maybe there's an area in your life where you've been really struggling or fighting against sin or against temptation and there's a huge need there. Maybe it's just a general state of unrest. Do you ever feel that? This general state of unrest that can be about any number of things happening in your life, around you, or in the life of others. And this is a real issue. Check this out. According to the American Psychology Association, more than half of Americans reported personal health problems, 53%, as a source of stress and anxiety. Significant sources of stress included more than 75% stressed out about money, more than 70% stressed out about work, career. More than 67% stressed out about the economy. 58% over relationships. 57% over family concerns. And almost 70% over the future and what that looked like. We are, by the numbers, the most anxious country in the world. And that might seem surprising because we have so much, and yet we can find ourselves in a constant state in our day-to-day -day of tension and stress and anxiety. In fact, one-third of Americans are reportedly suffering from some form of chronic anxiety, and I would just be honest this morning and say, myself included. Since, since high school, this has been an issue where I've had these up-and-down seasons of really strong, sometimes debilitating anxiety. And, and really, if you're looking and, and you're wondering, okay, what is, how, do we, how do we sort of frame this? Anxiety and stress, it can come from any area of uncertainty in our lives where we are looking for a need to be met. Any area of uncertainty in our lives where we are looking for a need to be met. And so in the midst of this reality, what do we all want? 
What do we all desire in the in-between? Because we find ourselves there a lot. Between a need presented and a need met, what do we desire? Here's what I think we desire at the bedrock of our hearts and what God desires for us. It's peace. Peace. Peace of mind, peace of heart, peace of knowing that our need is actually going to be met, that this is going to find a resolution. And God, because of his great love, he knows this, and he knows this tension, and he knows this thing that we struggle with, and he meets us there. Time and time again throughout Scripture, he confronts this issue And as we look at this passage in John 6 today, a really familiar passage, but I hope one that finds us in a new way that that maybe goes a little bit deep in our heart that makes us actually think about things a little bit differently when it comes to our relationship with God, even our relationship with ourself and others. Jesus does something amazing that goes much deeper than the act itself. And it is meant to absolutely realign, to give us hope, to offer us peace. So here's our big idea for today as we walk through this passage is that peace or the lack of is a product of the provider. And we're going to see this unfold throughout John chapter six. Before we dive into the passage and go further, would you just pray with me one more time? Jesus, I pray that you would make this passage incredibly clear to us. But not only that, I pray that you would do some work on our hearts today. Whether we're sitting here as a, as a student whether we're sitting here in our 20s and our 30s and our 40s and our 50s and our 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, God, would you do work on our heart where we are? God, because you know us and you know our hearts and you know sometimes the restlessness that we have over different areas in our life, especially when there's a need, God, would you reframe the focus of our heart, the focus of our mind? Would you offer us rest? Would you offer us peace regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation? And would you make it clear why we can find it in you? So we pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, let's dive into this passage, John 6. We're going to start in verse 1 with this account. Here's what it says, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing of the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So here's what we need to understand right now in this whole storyline of Jesus' ministry is that the Jewish leaders, the religious elite, they are plotting to kill Jesus They don't like that Jesus has come on the scene and he's turned culture on its head. The things that they believed, the things that they were trying to enforce, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You're actually supposed to love your neighbor, not take advantage of your neighbor. You're actually supposed to sacrifice, not try to just get what you can and hold on to it. No, you shouldn't be placing this bar of religious elitism up here that no one can meet. Instead, let's talk about something called grace and compassion and kindness And the religious leaders at this time, they were in such power and they held people in such captivity. They hated that Jesus was coming and he was trying to change this. He was radically changing it and people were following him because Jesus is unlike anyone that they had ever met. We know this from this passage. Why were they following him? It says he was healing people. And so while this large crowd, we don't believe that they were probably hardcore devoted followers, they were intrigued. 
In fact, many of them may have shown up that day because they're like, hey, this guy's handing out free health care. Like, man, he's doing miracles. People are being healed. Hey, our neighbor who couldn't walk, he's walking. Hey, remember this, this lady was blind and now she can see. Who doesn't want to see what he's going to do next? And so this huge crowd forms. Now we note here, it's the Passover, which is really significant and we can't unpack it completely here, but I just want to note this. This Passover time, this signified the people of God being released from captivity in Egypt. It was really a celebration of that, their slavery. And so sacrificial lambs were brought each year and they were offered up. But now Jesus He's on the scene and all of that's going to change. As John tells us before that Jesus is now the Lamb of God. He is the final sacrifice. And that's of important note as this Passover is going on and you think about the lambs being sacrificed, you think about people bringing these lambs, that Jesus is going to be that final sacrifice, that final offering. And that's sort of a beautiful under the surface reality, even in this passage, as we're going to see Jesus do something pretty amazing. And so look at what happens next. So this huge crowd is around. It says, lifting up his eyes, Jesus, and then seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to even get a little. So we see the immediate need here. And it says Jesus knows what he's going to do before his disciples ever know. I, I think Jesus actually has a pretty good sense of humor that we sometimes miss here. He already knows. He's ahead of the game. He knows exactly how he is going to meet this need. This isn't startling him. This isn't bringing him stress. This isn't bringing him anxiety, right? And yet what we see here is um, two responses. Two responses. And the first one is going to come from Philip. Now, again, Jesus has all of this under control, but it says that he wants to test Philip in a sense to see how he's going to respond. Will he try to come up with his own solution? Will he be fearful? Will he be stressed? Or will he actually trust that I have this under my control? It's important to say this, is that Jesus knows what you need before you even know your need or before you even have your need. And I know that can be hard to comprehend, especially in the moment. Because in the moments of need, it sort of seems like a tornado that we're living in and we can't see clearly and we just want out. But it should offer us, every single one of us, if you have a relationship with Jesus, it should offer you incredible assurance to know that before you ever have a need pop up, whatever that need is, big or small, that Jesus already knows it. And he already knows that it was going to come. And that's a really assuring thing if we hold on to that. Jesus already knew what he was going to do here. So, Again, he's testing Philip, and Philip sort of passes the test, maybe with some reluctancy, maybe just because he was overwhelmed. But here's what he essentially says. He said, there's, yeah, there's nothing we can do, Jesus. Like two denarii, essentially six, 200 denarii, essentially six months wages. He says, wouldn't even be enough to give all of these people a little, right? And when I read this, I often, I often wonder, I often think about if I was in this situation, what would my response have been? Now, most likely, I would have run around. I would have tried to find a solution. I would have said, all right, time to get some fishing poles out. We've got a lot of people. Let's send some people fishing. Hey, we need to take up a love offering. <laughs> we, need to, we need to get some money together. We need to send somebody to town. We need to get people producing some bread, right? We've got a, we've got a crowd. We don't want them to turn angry. They're hungry. We don't want them to be hangry, right? That would have been 
me, I can see that. I would have become anxious almost immediately. And maybe, just maybe, I would have gone to Jesus when I was at the end of my rope. I hate to say it, but that's where I find myself a lot. (laughs) Going to Jesus only when I'm at the end of my rope. When I have um, exhausted all options and I'm like, well, I guess it's time to go to Jesus. Sort of the last response instead of the first. I think that's far too often true. See, I'm not always very patient. Maybe you can relate. I like immediate results and solutions because we live in a culture of immediate results and immediate solutions. An example of this, several years ago, I was um, on a bachelor fishing day with one of my good friends. His name was Bryce. And uh, he and Jana, they had become engaged. They were going to get married. They actually met in our um, life group. So that's a plug for life groups. If you're looking to maybe meet somebody, jump into a group. They met in our life group, got the pleasure of doing their wedding, but Bryce wanted to fish for this trip. He wanted to do some trout fishing on a river um, about 30 minutes outside of Seattle. And so several of us got together. Some of us were um, avid fishermen. Some of us were not. And so we got together and we did this fishing. It was a pretty cold, rainy day, sort of like today, about the same temperature. Um, And so we're fishing and and we're not catching a lot. And one of my friends, uh, another pastor buddy, Ryan, we decided to go and fish off this big rock. And then there were other rocks you could step down to the water. And so I throw my line out and eventually I get a bite and it it is a large fish. And I was excited because I don't fish a ton. At least I hadn't at that point. And so I was excited that I was catching anything at all. I didn't care if it was a snake. I was excited something was on the line. So I'm reeling it in. It's getting closer, but it's fighting. Uh, I notice we don't have a net. I tell Ryan, go get a net. He takes off. He runs to get a net. And I get this fish closer and closer and closer. And, and eventually I pull it out of the water and it's a fairly large trout. But here's what happens. It falls off the hook and it slams on one of the smaller rocks. And so I I go down and I get off a large rock and I'm down on the smaller rocks. And I notice that because this fish had hit the uh, smaller rock, he was kind of stunned. He was kind of out of it. And I can see Ryan coming back, running back with this net. Now, what should I have done in this situation? Waited for Ryan to come back with the net. Instead, what did I do? I turned into full bear grills in that moment. I decided I'm going to hand fish. I reach down. I try to pick up this fish. I completely lose my balance and I fall backwards into this freezing cold river. All right. These are not the clothes that I started out with that day. Here we go. Look at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't my vibe. Wasn't my style. Luckily, Bryce's dad had these uh, camo pants and an extra large jacket in his truck. And that's what I wore the rest of the day. And as three days later, my phone sat in a bowl of rice and never did turn on. This is one of my most expensive sermon illustrations. So I may as well use as much as I can. Not a lot of patience, right? Not a lot of patience. When we face a need, large or small, we often try to do it ourselves. When we often try to figure it out on our own for one of two reasons. And one of them is a lack of patience. That this isn't happening in my timing, that God is not working fast enough. And so I need to take care of this on my own. And the second is a lack of trust. That I think I can control this better than God can. I'm not sure God will actually meet this need. And so instead of allowing God to be the provider, we become the provider for ourselves. Look at this next verse. 
It says, And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and has two fish, but what are they for so many? So it's your second response that comes from Andrew, and I can totally relate with this. He brings what he finds, but he still comes to the conclusion, what can you really do with this? You can't really do too much with this. I mean, this is like a kid's lunch, right? There's some faith, but without much expectation. So for us, maybe it's, Jesus, I'm not sure how much you can really do here. So I'm going to hold on to this. It's in these times over and over in our lives that Jesus is saying this to us. What you see is a roadblock, I see is an opportunity. Seriously, what you see is a roadblock where not much can be done. I see is an opportunity to show my love, my kindness, and my grace toward you. You don't think that this relationship can be mended, put back together? Let me work on it for you. Let me show you. You think you're in a really tough spot over here and there's no way out? Let me get in there. Let me work on this. Let me show you. You're lacking wisdom over here. You're not exactly sure what to do. Invite me in. I'm a good provider. You don't think that this thing in the past, this pain that needs healing, that it could ever heal? Let me come in because I am the healer. I am a good provider. And so in verse 10, we see Jesus says, after these two responses, hey, what can be done? Have the people sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Now, just to make note, only men were um, taken into record during this time. We know that with women and children included, there would have most likely been over 15,000 on the grass sitting here today needing to be fed. And here's what he does next. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. This is amazing what Jesus does here. He feeds over 15 thousand people with minimal resources from a little boy. Let me say this and take note of this. God meeting your needs, large and small, in your day-to-day and in an eternal sense isn't dependent on your resources or abilities. It's not dependent on what you bring to the table. It's fully dependent upon his love and his grace is a good provider, whether it's a physical, emotional, or spiritual need, God is in the business of taking care of his kids. Think about Matthew 6. You remember that passage where it's saying, don't stress over what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. And he points out, I even take care of the birds. How much more do I love you than them? God is all about meeting the needs of his kids. Such a beautiful picture of the gospel here because there's always something deeper below the surface. Anytime Jesus does a miracle, that's why John doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs because Jesus is showing something deeper, more about himself and about us and his relationship with us. I love this. We look at the breaking of bread and him taking apart the fish and multiplying it. What's Jesus gonna do? He's gonna have his very body broken. He is going to bleed. His body is going to be torn and grace is going to be multiplied. 
more than enough, more than enough grace, a grace that is never running out. Jesus is gonna fulfill his promise to be the bread of life, to take our worst, to give us his best. We see these 12 extra baskets. I love this because it would have shown the disciples and it would have shown everyone there that God is absolutely capable and has good for his kids in abundance. He's not holding out. He's not withholding from his kids that he won't let you down, not in this moment, not in the next, that he won't leave you, that he won't forsake you. The song we sang a little while ago, not forsaken. Even in those moments that we wonder, God, where are you? He is absolutely there. Even when we're not sure how he's working or when a resolution is gonna come, nothing that you face is too big to bring to him and nothing you face is too big for him to handle. Theologian Leon Morris just says this, and it's a simple quote, but I think it's so important, is that Jesus is the supplier of man's needs. Jesus is the supplier of man's needs. So the question is this, it's a really big one for us. Will you let him? Will you let him be that? It's a big question for me. Struggle with that tension every single day. And all of this comes down to trust and authority. Trust with your family, trust with your finances, trust with your relationships, trust with your future, trust with your health, trust with every single thing in your life and who has authority over your life. And here's what's great. Here's some encouragement is that Jesus, when it comes to meeting needs and God, when it comes to meeting needs, a fantastic track record. Not 50-50, not 60-30, not 80-20, not 90-10. Jesus, God, has a perfect track record of meeting the needs of his kids. It is more likely that you become the king or queen of England than God not meeting your need as his child. You're like, that's impossible. I can't become, I live here. Exactly, right? Perfect track record of meeting needs, that he hasn't failed you and you won't be the first. Now, let me say this. Sometimes he works in ways that we don't necessarily expect. Sometimes we don't get everything we want. Sometimes the timeline is tough or difficult or it goes longer than we hoped that it would. And yet don't think for a second that God doesn't want good for you and that he's not doing things in the midst of that. I think about it sort of like a little kid. If a little kid could have whatever he wanted to eat at a meal, like Silas, like, like my little kid, dude would choose Skittles, Starburst, and chocolate. Everyone, right? Because it's, it's what he wants. Is it what he needs? No, it's gonna make him sick. It's gonna, it's, he's not gonna have nutrition. It's gonna be really bad for him. Sometimes the things that we want, that we think our needs are actually wants and desires that God is saying, that's bad for you. That's not good for you. But when it comes to our actual needs, God's all about being there. He's all about meeting it. He's about meeting it in abundance. I've noticed this in children. I've noticed it in my own child, Silas. And you've probably noticed it too. If you just watch kids run around and walk through their day-to-days, they don't get too stressed. Not too stressed. I never see Silas sitting in a corner wondering where's next meal, what that's going to look like. I never see him sitting in a corner wondering about uh, our finances. 
what clothes he's going to wear. I never see that. Why is this? Because there is a natural understanding that mom has me, dad has me, grandma, grandpa, they have me. And so it should be with us. No matter how old you are, you're still a child. You're a child of God. It should be a natural understanding for us. And I know that it's not, but this is where God wants to move us. To say, yeah, he has me. I know that he has me. I don't need to bear this burden because I know that he actually has me here. I can walk forward in trust. I can walk forward in faith. Let's wrap up this passage. When the people saw the sign that had been done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who was coming to the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So the people, they were impressed, but they misinterpreted Jesus' purpose and his plan. They wanted to make him a political king. And that's not what he came to do. They would have settled for a short-term solution to their problems, not realizing that Jesus had actually come and had a far greater plan to give them far more through his very life and eternal hope. They would go beyond their life here on earth. And we can far too easily fall into this trap. Sometimes I find myself looking at Jesus as sort of a bank. Someone that I go to when I need to make a withdrawal only when I have a big need. I only go to him when, when I need something or out of desperation instead of allowing him to hold his rightful position as Lord, not the last resort, but the first response. Because when it comes down to it, Jesus is not only a good provider, he is the best provider. He will provide for you better than you could ever provide for yourself. And the greatest provision that he's ever given you is himself. It's where we find our greatest need met. And when everything else falls underneath that reality of the cross, that reality of forgiveness, that reality of grace, that reality that I'm eternally secure, no matter what comes tomorrow, no matter how long I have to wait on this, no matter what this looks like, knowing that I'm eternally secure because of what Jesus has done, offering himself so that I could experience his grace, so that I could have an eternal hope, no matter what comes tomorrow, when everything else falls underneath that reality, here's what happens. Peace comes flooding in. Rest comes flooding in. Security comes flooding in. And a real and lasting peace that doesn't waver, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of timing, regardless of the unknown, because it's all about the authority and who has it. I want you to think about this. Think about the greatest need you have right now. Maybe it's a small need. Maybe it's a big need. Maybe it's the thing that's keeping you up at night. How would tomorrow, how would next week, how would next month look different if you handed that to Jesus legitimately? Not just like, all right, Jesus, I hand this to you. No, no, no. Like legitimately step forward in this, no matter what age you are, whether you're a student, whether you're an adult. What would it look like if you handed that to him and gave him complete authority to be Lord over that and Lord over your life in a real and meaningful day-to-day -day way? Where you're not running around like a chicken with their head cut off every time there's an issue, every time there's a challenge, every time that there's a problem, but you're immediately giving that to Jesus, going to him, saying, will you meet me here again? And his answer is always a resounding yes. Absolutely. I mean, think about it. Less anxiety, less sleepless nights, more joy, satisfaction, more time to be present with others, to love others, to serve others. We started here, let's wrap it up here. This big idea that peace or the lack of is a product of the provider. 
It's dependent upon the one who's providing. Will you allow the one who fed the 5,000, who gave the blind sight, who turned water into wine, will you allow him to provide for you? Not as a last resort, but as a first response. Will you humbly trust the one who showed you how much he loves you by humbly taking your sin, wiping it out with his very life, death, and resurrection. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he wants to meet your greatest need today. He's inviting you into it. And not the cleaned up version, the version of you as you sit right here, right now, with all of your cracks, with all of brokenness, with all of your questions, with some of your doubts. He's saying, take a step forward in faith. I don't know about you, but man, when I try to DIY it, I just find that I'm worn out. I'm frustrated. And even if I can come up with a solution, it's fleeting. It doesn't last. And that's because maybe, maybe things aren't in the right order. Maybe I'm still trying to be the provider instead of allowing him to take his rightful place. So if you're searching or longing for a resolution, for, for peace, lasting peace, it's only found in one place, found in one person, in Jesus. The Lamb of God, the bread of life, the good provider, the one who hasn't failed yet. And he promises you won't be the first. Jesus, thank you for your word and thank you for your promises. Thank you that you meet us where we are. God, thank you that you know the tension that could come into our hearts where we try to take things on ourselves, things that are not intended for us to take on, but meant to be handed over to you. Thank you that you don't walk away. Thank you that you don't leave. Thank you that you remain faithful. Even when we at times can be almost faithless. Jesus, thank you for this beautiful account of taking this young boy's meal and feeding so many as a sign of what you would do on the cross. Your body broken, your blood shed, what we remember through communion, this remembrance that you are the good provider, that you are the supplier of our greatest need, this need for grace, for forgiveness, for mercy, for compassion that we find in you. Would everything in our life fall underneath that reality? Would you bring us rest? Would you bring us peace? Would you fill us with hope? Jesus, for someone who may not have a relationship with you today, would you take away any barriers in between that relationship? Would you allow them to come to you? You say that anyone who calls on your name, that you will hear them, that you will take their sin that you're simply looking for confession and repentance. Confession to say, yeah, I can't handle this on my own. Repentance to say, I'm tired of going it on my own over here. I'm going to turn to you, Jesus. I'm going to hand this over to you, my very life, because I believe that with you is better than without you. I'm going to trust, even if I don't have a ton of faith, I'm going to step forward and trust that your promises are good not just for today, but for tomorrow, for every day after and for eternity. Would you start relationships today, Jesus, in this room, online, throughout our city, throughout our country, throughout our world, by your grace, not by what we bring to the table, but what you've already brought to the table and have finished. 
Jesus, for those of us who are in the family, would you allow us to, in a real and tangible way, hand over things today? As we sing this next song, as we finish this service, would we respond in ways that are real and meaningful of whatever that thing is that comes into our mind, that thing that we've been holding on to, that wisdom that we need, that stressor, that anxiety, the thing that I've been trying to take care of myself, the thing that I've been trying to wrestle on my own, that spiritual issue that I've had for so long and I've been trying to white knuckle it, would today be a day of releasing the chains of bondage on our hearts and allowing us to hand over our lives to you and to find true and lasting peace? Jesus, show us what that is in this moment. And thank you that you're going to walk us through it tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Would we be a people that run to you as a first response, not as a last priority? Because Jesus, you're a good provider. And we thank you for that. We honor you for that. We worship you for that. In your name, amen.